Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Morning. Happy New Year. Good to see you guys all again. I almost made it through last year without hearing that joke about, uh, I'll see you next year, but somebody got me as I was leaving Walmart. My name is Ronnie. If you don't know me yet, I'm one of the elders here at Gospel Community Church. It's nice to see everyone. If you call GCC your home, it's good to see you again. If you're a guest visiting, uh, I promise we won't do anything to embarrass you or make you feel awkward. Uh, But our whole aim and goal, as it was said earlier, is to make Jesus the hero. As Chris often says, not, not that we're trying to make him the hero, like he's not already, but many times throughout our, our lives, people try to make themselves a hero, other people their hero. Ultimately, it ends in disaster. Jesus is the one true hero that we're looking to make much of. I'm excited to bring you God's word today. We're going to do a little bit of a different uh, series with the mini-series on church membership, and we're going to be looking at God's word to say today to see what exactly it has to say about church membership. And this might seem like a topic that you could easily snooze on. It could be kind of boring. But I highly encourage you, if you you consider yourself part of the GCC family, you're looking to get plugged in, interested and curious about membership, I, I would highly, highly encourage you to be here for this next sermon series, to tune in, to take notes, to ask questions. And today I'm going to be answering one question, hopefully, why church membership? If I don't do that adequately, I, please come ask questions of either Rick, Jake, I, um, Brad. Come ask questions because we're looking to unpack some of this stuff. And we know that this could be a little bit of a dramatic change. Not that this church is not used to change, but this having moved around so much over the last six years, but it, it can be a little bit of a shock. Some people may say, why? Uh, why are we moving to something that might seem a little bit more formal? Aren't we members already? So there could be a lot of questions. Hopefully, I address some of that today. And over the coming weeks, hopefully the other elders do some of that work. So there are a few passages, quite a few actually, that I think could help us in answering this question, why church membership? What is church membership? Why should we be doing it? And how exactly uh, does this point to the gospel? How does the gospel change our relationship to one another and how we participate in church? But today, I'm going to specifically be focusing in on 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up, follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back. That, that's a gift from Gospel Community Church to you and your family. If you don't own one, take it home, mark it up, write in it, highlight, do whatever you'd like. That, that is your Bible that you can take home. There's also great apps on the phone. Everybody should be able to find a Bible somewhere. And you could go ahead and start getting to 1 Corinthians 12. So this is a a relatively new church. We've been around roughly six years. And in that time, it hasn't been easy. As I said, we've moved around quite a bit. Uh, Just pulling a random number out of the top of my head. But I think we've moved about six times. Um, Just thinking about all the different places you've been. And then throw COVID into the mix uh, a couple of years ago now. it's, it's something that I don't think I'm just speaking for myself. I don't want to put words into the mouths of the elder, other elders, but I think church membership is something that we probably wish we could have established a little sooner and, and are hoping to get rolled out. I would also say I, I strongly believe that there has already been some sense of informal membership since those first group of couples came to help establish Gospel Community Church. Uh, when Nicole and I zoomed in on that first meeting when we were back in Reno, Um, and met with some people. 
as we've grown and as we're growing into a new chapter of our church's life, we believe it would be to everyone's benefit to establish something a little bit more formal to help better serve everybody at GCC, but also to better hold the, elder, the elders accountable in how they've been called to lead in different things like these. You know, when I joined the military back in 2007, yeah, I just dated myself quite a bit. Uh, when I joined the military in an undisclosed time in the recent past, it was quite the process. There's paperwork, uh, there's a physical, there's a background check. I got asked about 20 questions about the last time I smoked weed or something like that. I've never smoked weed, but the guy just kept drilling me about all this stuff. It, it was a long and drawn out process. I even had to take a driver's license twice, twice because of the job I wanted, because I failed the first time. And sure, there was something noble about it, maybe, but most of my reasons for joining were pretty self-centered, and I was, I was looking to join because of all the benefits that I thought I would get out of it. 13 years of my life, I was a member of the United States military. And all my work in the military, everything that I did, what I did overseas, what I did here in the States, the different humanitarian missions I did, all of it would have been vanity if it weren't for the greater membership of, and family that God has so graciously determined to call me a part of. And, and we join all different kinds of things in our lives too. Clubs, organizations, teams, Facebook groups. I mean, Nicole and I are even members at Costco. But the difference between our membership in any of these things and our membership in the local church are, are many. There are many, many differences, but the big difference is its impact on our relationship with God and our ultimate destination. So we're going to look together at what God's word has to say about our relationship to one another and explore the importance of formal church membership. Read with me now 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church being around as long as it has, especially with everything that we've gone through in the moves, through COVID, through political tension. Thank you for keeping us together and connected to one another. It's only through your grace that this would be possible. I pray that as our church moves into a, a new season of its life, that, that you would help us to grow in our commitment to the local church. Your commitment, Jesus, to the church could never be matched. I pray that we would see the way in which you went all in for your bride and seek to emulate that in how we love and care for one another. Pray that you'd help us to understand this topic and uh, pray that you'd help us have grace with one another as we go into this transition. And I pray that it would be a time of, of joy, that you would encourage us in, in this and, and help us as we fumble our way through this, God. We need you. We need your grace. Thank you for this time. We love you, God. Amen. So one thing I did want to say before kind of diving into verse 21 is that I will be sharing a couple things that are a little heavy. Whether you've been coming to GCC for a while or, or even a guess, I do want to unpack a couple of very heavy things. 
and just wanted to prepare you for that a little bit. And hopefully it's something that you can think on a little bit as you leave here today. And, I, and I'll, I'll shine a little bit of light on it when we get there as well. So if it feels a little awkward, just bear with us. Bear with me through the tension that Paul unpacks here. In verse 21, Paul begins to use the language of different body parts. And it's not the first time or the last time he does this. He does it in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. He, also, he oftentimes describes the church, the people in it, those who Christ have called to be a part of the community of faith, the body. And this is a brilliant analogy for, for a lot of reasons. One, it's incredibly relatable. I mean, raise your hand if you have a body. Right, yeah, everybody's got a body. So it's incredibly relatable. It's a very smart analogy for Paul to draw out. It's something we can all immediately connect with. When one part of the body is in pain, it affects the rest of the body. I think I talked about this not too long ago. In our attempt to kind of enjoy life's pleasures, it makes it difficult when one part of your body is suffering and the desire to get whatever kind of medical attention we need so we're not going through life struggling. So when one part of the body is hurt, it really makes a difference. And there's a reason why, at least in the United States, you would qualify for some form of disability if you were missing one of your members, if you were missing a limb. It's because life becomes a little bit more difficult. It hinders the rest of your body when you're missing a limb. What can a body accomplish when all of its parts are working together to accomplish a goal? I pointed this out before, but Olympic sprinters, it's the craziest thing if you watch them in slow motion. I don't believe that there is a single muscle in their body that they're not moving. It's funny, their necks are even bobbing when they're running, that their toes are digging into the ground and pulling the earth from beneath them. It's incredible how all these parts are coming together to accomplish this amazing task of going as fast as they, they do. I'd never be able to do that. Just as life, our lives, are a whole body experience in which we feel emotions ripple through our whole body, when we get chills, when we get a gut reaction, when shiver goes down our spines, when we get sweaty hands or a lump in our throat, we, we feel emotions throughout our entire body and all of life is a whole body experience. The Christian life is also a whole body experience where all, all the members are coming together to accomplish what God has established it to do. Jesus didn't just save individual people. Even as it was pointed out earlier, it was a people that he saved from many different tribes, tongues, and nations as, he, as it explores in Revelation 7-9. In verse 21, Paul explores the idea of one part of the body dismissing another as insignificant or irrelevant. The eye, hand, head, feet. Which one of those would you be willing to part with if you had to choose? There's actually a rare psychological condition called body integrity identity disorder. Very rare condition where in which somebody believes that a part of their body shouldn't be there. And many times they'll try to get it removed either by themselves or through a physician that will try to remove that part of their body. What's interesting is that even secular psychologists would see something like that and stand in agreement with the Apostle Paul and say that there's something wrong when the head or the eye looks at another part of the body and believes it shouldn't be there. Now, obviously, a head is more essential than a hand or feet. You could walk through life without one of these things. You kind of need your head. Yeah, you can live without an eye. You can live without a hand. You can live without a feet. But does this mean that we should just get rid of every part of the body that isn't essential to survive? No, that'd be crazy. That'd be ridiculous. Every part of the body should desire the presence of each part. While one missing piece won't destroy the body, it won't completely bring the whole thing into collapse and ruin, it will in some way disable it. As I talked about earlier, 
making it weaker. It makes it less effective. It makes it so that it's not able to perform at its full capability. And for this reason, Paul says that all parts of the body, whether we deem them lesser or greater, are indispensable. As he says in verse 23, continuing on, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We may see some people in the, in the church as less important as far as the work that goes on in the church. Every single person is empowered by the Holy Spirit in helping propel the church to its predetermined destination. And true to God's form in flipping our understanding of what, uh, of what is holy and glorious and, and most powerful, what we deem lesser is actually what Paul is saying here. This is where the greater glory lies in verse 23. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable bestow the great honor. Outsiders looking into the church, those who don't know it, might see who, whoever's standing behind the pulpit, whoever is the one speaking, that's the most honorable, I don't know what word that was, the most honorable position you could hold in the office. And if it's not that person, it's probably the person up leading worship, the person in the front with the microphone. That's got to be the person, the most honorable in the church family of God. Again, that's from a human perspective. From God's point of view, what the Apostle Paul is saying, it's those who often go unseen where we bestow the greater honor. Just like the ones that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, 5 through 15, who pray in public to be seen by others and to receive praise from others, the pastor in the pulpit receives his honor when a congregant says, great sermon, pastor. But God sees and honors those who sit in the back quietly and make sure the sound's working perfectly. Or those in the children's ministry who many of us have probably not even thought of until I just now mentioned it. I know me personally as a parent, once I drop the kids back off there, it's like they don't even exist. God honors the faithful work of every member, especially when they receive no honor from other people. Whether big or small, seen or unseen, every member of the church has a purpose that God has specifically designed them to fulfill in the church. Don't leave the church disabled because of your own fears or your own self-centeredness. And don't ignore the calling God has given you in this life to function as a member of that body. This is why you should be a member, a part of the body. But what about formal membership? Switching lanes here real quick. What about committing to a church and having your name on some kind of roll or roster or list or committing to some kind of class and enrolling in some kind of membership? Let's continue with verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have some care for one another. I think this passage shows a couple ways in which it's implying membership in a local body. And it's not simply because the word members is there. That's, that's not it. But I, I believe there is now and always will be some form, on this side of heaven at least, there will always be some kind of division within the capital C big church, all Christians. And that's, that's okay. We serve a perfect God who has perfect theology. We don't. Sometimes there are different things that we can disagree on uh, that aren't matters of salvation or matters concerning who God is. There, there's a reason why somebody who is, uh, believes in baptizing infants, they probably shouldn't be a member at Gospel Community Church just because none of the elders believe in infant baptism. So it'd be kind of weird for them to be here because we're not going to baptize their child. And for that, it's okay to divide and go to different places. When Paul says there should be no division in the body, I don't think he's speaking universally throughout every church at all times. They would be in perfect harmony and unity, but in a local body, there would be a strong sense of unity and a strong lack of division. There would be no presence of division within that body. But also, who are we called to care for? And this is one that I want us to leave here thinking about today a lot. This might be the most important thing I have to say today. Hebrews 13, 17 has a very heavy and weighty charge for anybody stepping into the office of elder. 
or pastor. We use those words interchangeably here. I know there's been some confusion, but elder, pastor, same office in the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, and this is a very weighty passage for anybody wanting to be an elder. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That part, some leaders be like, oh, that's great. Submit to me, do what I say, like, awesome. But it goes on. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Elders will be judged before God based on how well they shepherded, shepherded their people. Anybody stepping into the role of elder will stand before God one day and explain to God how he led their congregation. Were it not for the grace of God, I don't think I'd have the courage to even consider stepping into this role because this sounds like a very intense conversation, one that I would be damned for immediately were it not for Jesus Christ and his perfect life lived on my behalf. And this passage weighs heavy on the conscience of an elder, but I think it should bear just as much weight on every single member of the body and those considering whether or not church membership is for them. When Rick, when Jake, when I, or any other pastor you may have or will have in the future stand before God and give an account for who they led and how they led, ask yourself this question and go home thinking about this a little bit today. Will your name come up in that conversation? Will your name be brought to the table? Will God ask any elder how they shepherded you if you're not an elder? Will your name come up in that conversation? When God evaluates your walk with Christ and examines how you function in the body, what will that look like? Will you operate in the same manner that a hand would on a physical body, connected to the other parts in accord with the components and working together to accomplish a purpose? Or separated, without blood, no nerve endings, not connected to anything that would animate your existence and give you purpose? God unites us to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he also unites us to a people. There was more than one relationship broken at the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they severed their relationship with God, but they also severed their relationship with one another in all creation. And God is making all things new, it says. Not just restoring us to him, but restoring us to one another. We model the kingdom of God here in the church as we demonstrate the same holiness, the same grace that our Lord does. When we forgive one another and consent to live in community with one another, we're demonstrating that same grace. But we also grow in holiness as we spur one another on in the faith and challenge one another to grow in godliness. Let me ask you this, another, another hard thing to consider. Many times when people are talking about formal church membership, they look at Matthew 18, 17, and I'll read it real quickly. Jesus is talking to disciples about church discipline, a brother that's sinned. A brother that's sin, refusing to listen. They're, they want to continue on in whatever their sin, sin they're doing. This is how Jesus says to handle it. First, he says, get another brother. Go talk to them. Try to reconcile, solve this problem. But then he says in verses 17, Matthew 18, 17, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Basically, Jesus is saying, treat him as an outsider. Somebody that needs to be brought back into the fold of God. Somebody that needs to be evangelized. Somebody that needs to hear the gospel. When handling matters of church discipline, which is, I know many Americans probably don't even like that idea of church discipline. We love our privacy. We love our individualism. However, when handling matters of church discipline, who does Jesus in that passage, in that verse, who does he say to bring it to? Does he say the, the capital C, the big church, like everybody who calls themselves a Christian needs to hear about this person's 
unrepentant sin? Does everybody need to hear about this? What about the people in the building? Is it everybody who walks through the doors on a Sunday service needs to hear about this one brother's sin who refuses to repent and come back into the fold of God? Should we do that? Would that be wise? Even here at GCC, we come in on a Sunday service and welcome to GCC where we exist to make Jesus the hero. By the way, Devlin won't stop committing adultery. You know, I think this would be silly. This would be unwise. It, it wouldn't be proper. It would feel weird. It would be like walking into something incredibly intimate as an outsider. While there may or may not have been any kind of formal role of members in the first century, there may not have been a list who would look at this passage and not see the distinction here between those who are investigating the faith, those who are being evangelized, and those who've progressed on into maturity, called to be involved in what the church is doing in building God's kingdom here on earth? I mean, think about, think about this too, just as a, a logical argument for church membership. When Jesus says, tell it to the church, if in that process of church discipline, Jesus says, tell it to the church. If you are not involved in that process, not just involved, but not, not invited to come to the table, if you are not part of that process, think about this. What category are you in? Jesus says, tell it to the church. If you're not involved in that process, what category would you be in? You're not in the church. You're not part of that process. You're not involved. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus never promoted fence sitting. He said, you're, you're either for me or against me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He spoke in very certain terms. When he's saying here, tell it to the church, it's just one more thing to think about as we reflect on church membership. I see a couple furrowed brows. If there's, if there's confusion there, please come up afterwards. But I'm saying, if Jesus is coming and saying, this issue needs to be brought to the church and you are not there, you're not part of that, what, what are you? Something to think on. Certainly, there, I, I know some people may be thinking, um, it is, and I hope I'm not causing confusion here, that this, is church membership a requirement for salvation? I want to make certain that I'm not saying that. Obviously, um, it is the grace of God. It is, a grace, it is the grace that Jesus Christ has provided at the cross that brings us salvation. Being a member in a church does not do that. The thief in the cross was never a part of a church. He was never baptized, anything like that. However, even with something like baptism, does that therefore mean you become a Christian, you deny baptism, you say, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do something that Jesus commanded me to do. No, the thief on the cross providentially hindered. There was no opportunity for him to do that. There was no opportunity for him to repent from sin, to live a different and changed life, correct? So I, I, that wasn't part of my notes. I just, I see a little confusion. I don't want to cause confusion and make people think what I'm saying is that you need to be a member of the church to come into heaven or receive the grace of God. That's absolutely not true. It's Jesus alone that provides that grace. But Jesus also gives us a better way of living. Even as we, I know, I know we've done some series recently, the better way of living compared to the way the culture kind of tells us. So I, I hope I'm not causing confusion there. Sorry for that little sidebar. I just saw a couple like furrowed brows. <laughs> Sorry to shift gears so fast on you, but especially in America when people are so transient, I think it's a good and necessary consequence to have some sort of formal membership. There was even some struggles when COVID first happened, trying to identify, well, well, who are the members? Who do we need to call and check on? Because we weren't meeting on Sunday for a, a little bit. We were just doing kind of like an online thing. So we we're like, who, who are the members? Who should we be calling? Who are we caring for right now? And so th this is a way, this helps the elders know more clearly how they can live out verse 26. Jumping back into 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 26. H how do the elders do this? How do we do this with one another? 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This helps us to hold the elders accountable, to ask, who are they shepherding? Who are you suffering with? Who are you rejoicing alongside of? Who are you giving priority over to? Is it just everybody who walks in the doors on a Sunday service? It also helps every member of the church to know how, in what way they are to hold the elders accountable, because the Bible speaks about this. It speaks about the way in which we're to hold those who step into the pulpit accountable. 2 Corinthians 11.4 speaks on those who have walked away from the gospel that are teaching something different and contrary, and how the, even those listening are active participants in making sure that the gospel isn't being distorted, twisted, and communicated in a way that, that is not true. And even that they would be living their lives that demonstrates the same grace that God has given us. Are we applying the gospel in our relationship to one another in our families? And this is something that the members as well are to hold the elders accountable. This is why even in the past when we've brought up different people, we've asked people like, hey, bring charges forth. If there's a reason this person should not be an elder, we need to know. And so we, we would like to have members involved in that process, not just everybody who comes in on a Sunday service. We love having guests. We want people to come and investigate the claims of Christianity. But we, we want those who are committed to GCC to be more involved in the body, more involved in the, the decisions that are being made, and, and able to actually live out some of the commands in Scripture when it comes to the one another's that they're to be doing. So to close, might be a little bit of a long closing. My goal here today was to help explain why I believe the Bible provides a framework for church membership, why, why it gives a very strong call that we should step into this, if, if at all possible. Formal or informal, I believe it's a good and necessary thing that we need to be living out the work that God has called us to do as a church, to reflect the same grace that he has given to us for one another. What God has done in purchasing our salvation for us on the cross is a glorious and beautiful aspect of the, of the gospel. We don't have to earn our salvation. Through faith in Christ, we are seen as that perfect son or daughter before God. And that's a beautiful aspect of the gospel, that God has reconciled us back to himself, that there's nothing we need to do, that Jesus did everything through his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. He's done it all for us. This is a beautiful part of the gospel and something that we try to communicate every single Sunday. But the gospel is, is more than just our relationship back to God. He is also reconciling us to one another. And we see this in Jesus's ministry. Look at the tax collector Zacchaeus. He's immediately, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with the story, he was a tax collector, he was stealing from people, he was taking more than what was actually owed. And even he, when encountered with Jesus Christ, he seeks to reconcile with the people that he's wronged. So he's, Jesus is beginning to restore these broken relationships. Look at the parable that Jesus unpacks the prodigal son that Rick recently uh, went through in a sermon. Jesus talks about the reconciliation that happens between father and son, between son and family, everything coming back together again. Look at how the gospel united different people groups. We see in Acts, the Jews and the Samaritans who were at complete odds against one another, you know, a, a people group that you'd never think that would come back together again, but the gospel is bringing these people who had a strong hatred towards one another back together again. And so a big component of the gospel is not only our vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with all of humanity, and especially with those whom God has called us to serve alongside together with. Amen. Committing yourself to one person is scary enough. For some of us that have been married or are contemplating marriage, I get it. That can be very scary. And I can understand some hesitation in, in signing up for some kind of formal church membership. Many, I think many people have already kind of been participating as members, just in a very informal way. But I think on what Jesus said in his teaching in Matthew on church discipline, 
and the account that the elders will have to give before God, when we think about these things, the practical aspects of how we do life and ministry together, I think this is something that's going to help us. I've, I've been a member at a church before, my old church in Reno, and it was really weird being an outsider. Never, that was where I got saved at my last church. And when I first heard about church membership, they didn't say church membership. It was even more awkward than that because they called it covenant membership. And I immediately thought, oh my goodness, this is a cult just because of the name. Me and my wife ended up becoming covenant members at that church. We ended up becoming members. And, and, it, and it was the best thing. It, it was great to be involved in the decisions at the church. It was great to be held accountable. It was great to grow in my faith. It was great to be asked questions and participate in what, what was going on. And when I left, I actually sat down with the elders and explained why I was leaving. Said, hey, we, we love you guys. We love this church. It's nothing, it's nothing against you guys. We're just, we feel like God is calling us to go to Eugene and help Rick with his church plan. And so it, it was great. It wasn't just like, where'd this person go? It was like, they knew me. They knew how I was. They knew I was leaving. I was a part of the body and they knew I was moving on to another body. It was, it was great. And then the last thing, I know I mentioned this. I just want to touch on it one more time. I know it's a heavy thing to kind of leave on, but when an elder stands before God and gives an account Will your name come up in that conversation? Will you be one of the people of whom God will say, and, and how did you shepherd Chris? And how did you shepherd Matthew? Is God going to ask about you when he stands and points his finger at an elder and says, well, how did you lead this person? Is your name going to come up in that conversation? Something to think about as we close. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that you would help us clear up any confusion. You are not the author of confusion. Uh, many times we are, we confuse ourselves, we confuse others with the words we say. God, we pray that you would help us all see with clarity what you've called us to in your word in relation to how we're expected to live out ministry together. And as we stumble our way through this, God, I pray that your hand would guide us. Holy Spirit, be with us as we move into a, into a new season. I pray that we'd be encouraged, and I, I pray that this would be something we'd have a lot of joy over, joy over honoring our Lord honoring the ways in which you've called us to live together. You've done everything for us, God, and I, and I pray that this is, a, this is a way that we're able to live more faithfully to the call that you've placed in our lives. Help us to love one another, to serve one another, to suffer with one another, and to rejoice with one another. We love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.